We want to continue uh, this morning with our series on the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And as we start this, I have a question here that I want to ask. And and that question is, what's in a name? Now, if you uh, have had a child recently or have had a kid who's had a kid recently, you know this whole task of picking a name is a big deal, right? You, You look up baby names. There's books out there now. There's websites and search engines. And you try to choose just the right name that you that for your child and so you might say well i like this family name but before i use this family name i want to see what it means um and so uh this week i looked up what the names of uh um of of what our staff people are okay so i looked up miguel's name does anybody know what miguel's name means connie do you know what it means who is like god okay so it's supposed to point people to god which is actually what miguel does you know what connie means by the way no, knowledgeable? No. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, Connie actually means steadfast or constant. Uh, Sarah, I'll put my wife on the spot. Her name means princess. Uh, so my name means, Marcus means mighty warriors. I, I like that name. You know, I like that name. So, uh, but, but this idea of what's in the name, when we look at the names in the book of Acts, actually we've looked at a number of different characters and, and over these last week and the next three weeks, we're looking at several different key characters. And it's interesting to see the names of the people we focused on. Really strong, powerful names with deep meaning. Uh, Remember the first week we talked about Jesus giving the Great Commission to his disciples. So what does the name Jesus mean? It literally means the one who saves. What a powerful name. Uh, That's the first one we focused on. The next week we talked about Acts 2 Pentecost where Peter preached the sermon. And Peter means rock, this strong leader of the church. Um, and And he preached the sermon last week. We looked at the name Stephen, which means crown. Stephen was the first martyr. One thing I didn't mention last week is uh, we need to be in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are facing persecution around the world. There are still people every day being killed because they believe in the name of Jesus. We need to pray for them, pray for their strength. But Stephen means crown. What What a beautiful name. Today we get to Acts chapter 8 and we're going to look at Philip. All right. So the name Philip means friend of horses. And you might say, wait a minute, what's going on here? Uh, that's not really a significant name. And I will actually say friend of horses has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today. But my point in mentioning this is it doesn't matter what your name is or what your name means. It might mean rock or it might mean friend of horses. God wants to use you in a powerful way. God knows what your name is. He knows your life. And he knows who you are, and he wants to use you in a particular way uh, based on who you are. And so this morning, we're going to look at that. In fact, if we look at that list of, of people there, Jesus, of course, and then Peter, Stephen, Philip, and others in the book of Acts, God used each one of these people to change the world for all eternity and to change other people's lives. And I believe that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we believe that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, no matter what your name is, He wants to use you as well. The book of Acts tells us a lot of things about how this can happen. And so as we look at the life of Peter, we really want to ask these three questions. These are the same three questions we asked last week, but they have different answers this week because we're talking about a different person. So question number one uh, is how did Philip encounter Jesus? That's an important question, not just for Philip. I actually think that's almost the most important question each of you can ask, can answer. How have you encountered Jesus or have you encountered Jesus. Second question will be, how did Philip serve Jesus? Which then again, if you've already encountered Jesus, how will you serve him? And then the last one is, how did God use Philip 
to change the world. And I, and I truly believe that Acts and all of Scripture says that if you know God, if you know Jesus, He does want to use you to change the world. So that's what we want to look at this morning. Those are the three things, kind of just by way of background. Uh, I want to read the first three verses of Acts chapter 8. This kind of connects with where we left off last week before we jump into the story of Philip this morning. So Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it says this, And Saul approved of his execution, of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But verse 3, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Which then brings us to the story of Philip. In other words, After the death of Stephen, it kind of opened the floodgates. All of a sudden now, the believers in Jesus Christ were facing persecution. They were afraid they would be killed like Stephen. And so what did they do? They scattered. They went every which way. And so that brings us to the story of Philip. And we have to ask the question, how did Philip encounter Jesus? How did he encounter him? Here's the interesting answer is we know that he did, but we don't actually know how he did. Uh, we know that he did. Well, how do we know that? We're going to look at his story today and look at what his relationship with Jesus was. Um, and we're going to draw some conclusions from that. So if you'll follow along with me as I read uh, in Acts 6, this is actually the first place we're introduced to Philip. And then we're going to go on into Acts 8 uh, to continue this kind of tracing his life and seeing how God used him and then how that will challenge us today. So Acts chapter 6, this is where we find out how he encountered Jesus. It says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Well, what duty are we talking about here? Again, reminder from last week, there was a problem in the church. It was actually a racist problem. Uh, Because the people in the church were giving aid to to the Jewish widows who needed help. But they were ignoring uh, the Greek-speaking widows. Based on their language, based on their kind of ethnic background, they said, we're going to leave you behind, we're not going to worry about you. And so the the apostles came up with this plan to help address the problem. And they appointed these different people um, who were full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Verse 4, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And then in verse 5 it says, And what they had said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip. That's our guy for today. They chose Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So you see, that's the background. That's the first time we hear Philip's name mentioned. He's chosen as one of these faithful men who knows Jesus to help us solve this problem, to help us solve this problem, to help take care of these people who need help in the name of Jesus. So that's our introduction to him. Uh, But then we come to Acts chapter 8. And we get to verse 4, Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, and it, it picks up with this idea of the church being scattered out now because of the persecution. So what happens in Acts 8 verse 4? Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip, who was one of those, went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. 
For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had heard them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. That's the end of verse 8. And we're not going to get into verses 9 uh, through 25, but basically that's another example of how he goes out, tells people about Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit comes on them. The Holy Spirit comes even on the Samaritans. It's not just for Jewish people, but for Samaritans. So how did how did Philip encounter Jesus? That's the question we're asking here. We don't know how he did. But when we look at his life, we know that he did. We know that he did. And so what do we see from this, just this idea of him encountering Jesus? I think we need to realize this. There's only one truth uh, from that question that we want to hone in on. And that is that following Jesus produces fruit. Following Jesus produces fruit. We see that in the life of Philip. We know he encountered Jesus, and then we have all these things that he did and all the people that came to know Jesus because he was faithful to proclaim the gospel. So in the case of Philip, we're actually looking at the fruit that's produced. That's really his whole story in Scripture. What happened because Philip knew Jesus? Uh, John fifteen five says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we see that really well played out in Philip's life. He had a fruitful life. He had a relationship with Jesus, and therefore he was able to bear fruit. Um, when we talk about fruit, this idea of following Jesus produces fruit. If you've had an encounter with Jesus, what kind of fruit are you bearing? What kind of fruit are you bearing? I think when you look at the life of Philip or lives like Philip's, you have to ask that question. What kind of fruit is God producing through me? Because I think there's kind of two kinds of fruit you can produce. One would be internal fruit, right? The, the strength of character. God is making you more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. So internally, you are bearing fruit. The old habits are dying. The new habits are growing. Uh, Colossians 3 talks about that whole, that whole idea of putting off your old self, putting on the new self. That internal transformation. God is creating the fruit of the Spirit inside you. But in the example of, of stories like, like Philip, we also see not only internal fruit, but external fruit. In other words, other people are coming to know Jesus through Philip. And God used him not just to produce fruit in his own life, which was important, but he also used him to produce fruit in other people's lives. And so both of those are important, and that's what we want to look at this morning. You know, you think about it. Philip was a first-generation Christian, wasn't he? He was one of the very first Christians, one of the very first Christians, uh, in fact, first generations of people who knew Jesus by name. And here we see him eight chapters into the book of Acts, already producing fruit. And I think that's what God wants for us as well, is to produce fruit no matter where we are. So what does that look like? I think that brings us to our second question. First of all, how did Philip encounter Jesus? We want to look at now the question of action. How did he serve Jesus? Because again, like I said, if you have encountered Jesus, then that's the question you need to be asking yourself is, how will I serve Jesus? If he's my Savior and my Lord, what is he asking me to do to serve him? He's my King. How do I bow down and worship him? So what I want us to see from the life of Philip is, is a, a number of things. But first and foremost, one of the ways he served Jesus was by guiding people to Jesus, guiding people to Jesus. Those verses we just read uh, in verse, uh, verses five through eight. Did you notice what it says? It basically says he meets people wherever they are and then he guides them to where they need to be. Uh, it says he meets uh, 
he meets those who are crying out with a loud voice, those who are paralyzed and lame. He meets them where they're laying, and he leads them to where they need to be in a relationship with Jesus. Look at verse 13. There's another person. Uh, chapter 8, verse 13. It's talking about a man named Simon. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. So who is this guy named Simon? He's another person. He's actually kind of a shady character in the book of Acts. He's a magician, uh, somebody who's doing all kinds of crazy things. And it says, even Simon believed. Philip was used by God to guide this uh, demonic type person to Jesus. And, and, and we see part of that unfold here in chapter 8. What else does he use him to do? He guides people to Jesus. And then what I want to do now is read. We kind of want to focus on verses 26 through 40 for the remainder of our time here today. So I want to read verses 26 through 40. This is a really great example of Philip guiding someone to Jesus. And I think it sets a great pattern for us uh, and a lot of uh, really helpful things we can do as we seek to guide people to Jesus as well. So if you will, look at your Bibles. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 26, and we're going to kind of walk through this and look at how Philip guided uh, this one particular person to Jesus. So it says this in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go to the south, toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, this is a desert place. Now, let's just pause right there for a second. Uh, I know a lot of you would say, well, I would love to lead people to Jesus. I'd love to guide people to Jesus. But God's never spoken to me and said, hey, go to this road at this time and meet so-and-so at this intersection. Um, that's a fair point, right? We would all say, if God would tell me that, then absolutely I would do it. Um, we, and we hide behind that excuse. Here's what I would say about this. If you're guided by the Lord then you will be able to guide people to the Lord, okay? God doesn't always give you a specific address to go to. Uh, that's not the way the book of Acts works. This is a pretty unique moment in the book of Acts. There's a couple times where God tells people, you go here and you'll meet someone. But most of the time through the book of Acts, people meet people as they're going somewhere else. Um, and so this is what I want you not to miss. When we talk about guiding people to Jesus, if you are guided by the Lord, then you will be able to guide people to the Lord. So how do you receive guidance from the Lord? I think it's through his Holy Spirit, as we see in the book of Acts, in this story, also through his word. So again, if you're walking with Jesus, you'll be able to lead other people to walk with Jesus. And so that's one of the ways we see Philip guiding people to the Lord. So verse 27, and he rose and he went. So he obeyed what God told him to do. And there was an Ethiopian a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. Push pause there again. So that's verse 28. So what we have here is, is uh, a convert to Judaism. Okay, This guy is Ethiopian. He has come from far, far away, probably to celebrate Pentecost, one of the great feasts of the Jews. And now he's in his chariot on his way back to Ethiopia. Now, uh, you look at all those things it says. He's a eunuch. He's a court official. Basically, he's the secretary of finance, if you want to equate it to modern terms. He's the secretary of finance for the queen of Ethiopia. Uh, and we're not told a lot of other things about him. Other than that, he was in Jerusalem to worship, and now he's on his way home. And look at what he says at the end of verse 28. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And in verse 29, the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. 
So Philip ran over to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Let's push pause there again. Verse 31. How many times have you said, I would love it if somebody would just say, Hey, come and tell me about Jesus. Sometimes people do, uh, but they don't always, right? Uh, Philip actually began that conversation by saying, hey, what are you reading? Do you understand what you're reading? And then the guy invited him in. And so God uses all different ways. Um, but my point here is just saying, uh, always have your eyes open, have your heart open, be listening for the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you in whatever way he chooses to do that. Sometimes it's through a conversation. Sometimes it's through an opportunity. But Philip takes the opportunity that God gives him. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Verse 32, now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And that's a quote straight out of Isaiah 53. And Amy read it earlier uh, during our worship time. It's a quote straight out of Isaiah 53. The song, Man of Sorrows. What a name for the Son of God who came. That's from Isaiah 53 as well. And so that's what this guy's reading. And I love verse 34. The eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or is it about someone else? In verse 35, this is our key verse uh, for our passage today. Verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. What an amazing story. And I know, like I said, many times I've thought to myself, I wish God would just put me in those situations once once a week, you know, maybe once a day where he would just line me up with somebody like that and say, this guy's ready or this person's ready for me to, to just share with them. Maybe we don't encounter situations just like that, but we do encounter situations where God wants us to guide people to Jesus. If you know Jesus, God says, I want you to guide people to Jesus. Here's a picture of a guide on Mount Everest, okay? Now, if, if, if this was, uh, let's say that person in the yellow jacket, that guide was Marcus, and all of the rest of you are kind of trailed out down the mountain, approaching the summit of Mount Everest. And I would say, hey, I'm going to guide you to Mount Everest, to the, to the top of Mount Everest. Most of you would say, I'm out. You would just turn around and go straight back down the mountain. Because why? Because Marcus has never been to the top of Mount Everest before. I cannot possibly guide you there and get you there in one piece. We would all die. <laughs> but but the idea is this. God says that I want you as believers to guide people to Jesus because you have already been guided to Jesus. You have already entered into a relationship with him. If you have come to know Jesus, God says, then I've given you this task. Guide other people to me. You're qualified. You are absolutely qualified. 
In fact, some people would say, well, I'm a new Christian. I don't know how to share. I can't share. I don't even know that much about it yet. What do you know? You know that Jesus saved you, even though you had nothing to do with it. You didn't deserve it. In fact, you deserved the opposite. But because you trusted Jesus, he has saved you. And you can share that with other people. Guide them. Be a guide to Jesus. Well, how did Philip do that? How did he serve Jesus by guiding them? You can't miss this in the story, okay? You can't miss this. He did it by speaking the good news. By speaking the good news. There's a quote that often gets uh, quoted by Christians, and it says something like, uh, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Okay? That's an inaccurate quote, especially when you read the book of Acts, okay? Because the book of Acts tells us it's always necessary to use words. Yes, we should be preaching the gospel with our actions, but it's always necessary to use words, to speak the truth of the gospel, to speak the words of life. And what are these words of life? He speaks the good news. I want us to just look at chapter 8. I want to highlight all those verses where it says it. Look at verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So he proclaimed, he preached about the Christ. Verse 6. Um, they paid attention to what was being said by Philip. He's speaking in verse 6. He's saying things. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and about the name of Jesus, they were baptized. They were saved. In other words, he's speaking out the truth about Jesus. He's proclaiming to them what he knows about Jesus. Verse 30. Go down to verse 30. Philip ran up to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked. So he actually speaks to him. He asks him a question. Verse 35. That's our key verse. Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. This is an announcement that you can't keep to yourself. If you've experienced this, if you've been guided to Jesus, you have to open your mouth and speak the good news to others. And then the end of the chapter, verse 40, uh, it says this, Philip found himself at this new city, Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel. He preached the good news to all the towns. So he's speaking the good news of Jesus Christ. We have to ask ourselves, what is that? What is he saying? What is the good news? Um, well, remember what he started with here in this story. Isaiah 53, talking to the, to the Ethiopian eunuch. I actually want us to turn back to that. Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament. Because this is a story about someone. The story about Philip. He's an evangelist. An evangelist is someone who shares good news. Now, if you think about it, the word evangelist has a little baggage today, doesn't it? Sometimes you might hear the word evangelist and you might think of uh, television crooks, right? People who are on TV trying to and saying, hey, here's a here's a feel good message. Send me your money. Uh, and there's a lot of examples of that. We call those TV evangelists. Not all of them are bad, but some were right. And they give a bad name. Or you might think of a good example. Billy Graham spent his whole life as an evangelist proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. But what I want us to realize today, when you read the book of Acts, and when you look at the story of Philip, God calls each of us to be an evangelist, to be someone who announces the good news, a special announcement. You know, this week, if you were watching the news, you had all these these announcements that would come up, and it wasn't good news, right? They'd say, hey, the hurricane's coming. We think it's going to come straight to New Orleans. Well, then they'd make a new announcement, say, actually, it's shifted left now. And they'd bring in all these other announcements. God says, you as a Christian are called to make an announcement 
to people who don't know me and just announce to them this good news, this good news about Jesus Christ. Well, what is that good news? What is that good news? Look at Isaiah chapter 53, um, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. A man of sorrows. In other words, this person that Isaiah is talking about, we know it's Jesus Christ, is a man who experienced sorrows willingly. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So when you read those words, you might say, that doesn't sound like good news to me. That actually sounds like bad news. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. That's the message of Scripture. All humans are broken. We're all sinful. And you might say, okay, yeah, I know I'm not perfect. I get it. But... We've gone astray in such a way that Scripture tells us that we deserve death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And that's bad news, but God says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so through this person that's promised in Isaiah 53, Jesus, who was wounded for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement so that he could bring us peace. By his wounds, we have been healed. That's the good news about Jesus. Something awful happened to Jesus so that he could give us something wonderful, eternal life. He was killed in our place so that we wouldn't have to die. And then he was resurrected, giving us eternal life. That's the gospel. That's what Philip explained to this Ethiopian eunuch straight out of Isaiah 53. He said, the bad news is you're flawed. The good news is God sent someone to fix the problem. Someone who could pay the penalty. And that person is Jesus Christ. So Philip is speaking the good news. You might ask yourself, well, how do I speak the good news? What should I say? What do I say? I don't have a situation like Philip where somebody walks up to me and says, hey, here's Isaiah 53. Can you tell me what this is talking about? But what we do see with Philip is that he uses scripture. He uses the scriptures all the way back in, in verse four. It says he proclaimed to them the Christ and uh, proclaimed to them the word. So use the scriptures. And you might say, I don't know what scriptures to use. Well, I'd love to share some with you if you want me to. There's a lot in Romans, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10.9 and 10. There's a lot of them in that one book that really explain what the gospel is. So use the scriptures. And proclaim this good news because it is good news. So how did Philip serve Jesus? He did it by guiding people to Jesus and by speaking this good news. But then there's one other thing I want to mention here about how he served Jesus that we don't want to miss. And it kind of looks like a minor point, but I actually don't think it's a minor point. And that would be uh, the third thing is that he worked with others. He served Jesus by working with others. Where do we see that? In 8 verse 14, go back to verse 14. After the uh, these uh, Samaritans became believers, it says this. Um, 
it says that the, the apostles came down from Jerusalem. Now the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God and they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to talk about this. But basically what you need to see here is that the early church was not just lone rangers going off by themselves. They were working together to guide people to Jesus. And uh, this is an example of that uh, with Peter, we see, or with Philip. We see this happening right here in this story. Yes, he was by himself on the road to uh, with the with the eunuch, but we also see him working with others. And I want us to realize that too, is that when we are going about as believers, trying to share this and trying to guide people to Jesus, there's so much value in doing this as a team and as a family. Uh, and so don't miss that point. We're a team, we're a body, and God calls us all to work together to guide people to him. So how did Philip serve Jesus? I think there's a takeaway from this. A takeaway from this, when we look at Philip's life and the way that he served Jesus, And it's this, God says, I want you to open your heart and I want you to open your mouth. We see Philip doing both of those things, don't we? Because we see Philip opening his heart when he's listening to the Holy Spirit. He's sensitive to how the Holy Spirit is guiding him. So open your heart, listen to how God is guiding you. Listen and watch for these opportunities that God puts in front of you. Open your heart, open your heart to people, not just to the Holy Spirit, but also to people. Care about the people who come across your path. Um, care about them and what it means for them to know Jesus. Because apart from Jesus, your eternity is hopeless. So open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Open your heart to people. But then we can't miss that as well. Open your mouth, right? That's what Peter, what Philip does over and over again. He opens his mouth and explains to people, here's what Jesus is. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what Scripture says about Jesus. Here's the amazing person who can save you. There's no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only the name of Jesus. And Philip proclaims that over and over again. So open your mouth. You know, with this Ethiopian eunuch, he opened his mouth first by saying, what are you reading? So he just starts a conversation with him. Sometimes that's all you have to do is start a conversation with somebody. What's going on in your life? Tell me about your family. Start a conversation, and then you can begin to share the love of Jesus with people. But you have to open your mouth in order to be able to proclaim the gospel. So open your heart and open your mouth. That brings us to the third question. Because we see a lot of results in the life of Philip. How did God use Philip to change the world? How did God use Philip to change the world? And I think the answer to that question we see here in in Acts chapter 8, is that God brings great joy for all the people. Great joy for all the people. We see that in two places here in Acts chapter 8. Verse 8, it says, so there was much joy in that city. Did you notice that when we read it the first time? Uh, It says he shared Jesus with them. They trusted Jesus. They were baptized. And now there's much joy in that city. They're overflowing with joy. And guess what? It's not just joy for a moment. True joy is joy for all eternity because you have peace with God. And then at the end of the chapter, uh, this is Acts eight thirty nine, And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. He was celebrating. He was celebrating because of what God had given to him. 
You know, this idea of, of God bringing joy to all people actually reminds me of Christmas. Okay, why did Jesus come? Why was Jesus born at Christmas time? You remember the words of the angel? If you've never heard this before, this is Act, or, uh, Luke chapter 2, which remember is volume 1 of Acts. Luke's recording the words of the angel at the birth of Jesus. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news of great joy. And that's what Philip shares over and over again with people. This is why Jesus came. To bring lasting joy. A relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. That's why we sing hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Because he brings joy. So how did God use Philip to change the world? It was through the joy that he brought. And I think our takeaway from this is share what you've been given in Christ. Share what you have in Christ. Share what you have in Christ. In other words, overflow. If God has saved you, if you've trusted him, and he's given you this everlasting joy, this peace with God, share that with others. We see such a great example of of evangelism, of sharing this good news in the life of Philip. But I think God wants to use you as an example of that. He wants to use me as an example of that as well. Don't keep this to yourself. You have the cure for the virus of sin. And God says, overflow with that. Give that out to others. Let it be so contagious. This joy that flows out of you in your relationship with God. That others see it. They're attracted to it. And they can come to know God for eternity. This idea of multiplication. Multiplying God's love to people. And now we see multiplying joy to people for all eternity. That's the result of sharing your faith. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. This fruit that is produced uh, by lives that are faithful. So this morning, I would just challenge you. Think about it. If you've encountered Jesus, how are you serving him? Are you serving him by proclaiming? And then is God using you to bring joy, eternal joy, into the lives of others? Because that's what he wants to do. When Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in all Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, that's what he means. I want you to bring my joy to the farthest corners of the earth, beginning right here. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life of Philip. And God, I pray that we would be faithful to open our mouths and to open our hearts. Um, And God, to do both so that many more would come to know you, come to know your love, a love like no other. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, well, we're going to conclude our service a little differently today. If I can get you to stand up, we're actually going to say a closing prayer together. This is from our book of prayer, uh, our handbook to prayer. This is the closing prayer for day 11. So I want us to just read this together, and then you'll be dismissed to go out and make disciples. So let's say this prayer together. I will arise and bless the Lord our God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Thanks be to God. Amen. You are dismissed.